This is Geeks and Jacks. And welcome back to Geeks and Jocks. This is Brian Sullivan for episode 89, recording November 9th, 2021. Thank you for listening in. Before getting into this episode, this podcast is on Anchor.fm. You can also find us on Spotify, Radio Public, Google Podcasts, and Breaker. So head on down to those websites, search for Geeks and Jocks plenty of content awaits. Ah, so close to reaching uh, 100 episodes. I think by the time January comes, or before January ends to be more specific, should be able to reach 100 episodes. Pretty cool, huh? (laughs) So definitely an interesting weekend for NFL football, championships for uh, NASCAR and Major League Baseball. Couple consoles turning 20 next week, and I'll try to explain why I'll do that. Why I'm talking these consoles uh, for this week and two other systems next week, uh, and one or two other things here for this episode, including uh, the Eternals movie that came out and what is on the horizon for movies coming out uh, soon. So, I guess begin with football, really, because it was one of the more interesting weeks for the NFL. And certainly some college football stuff. Uh, There was like a Wake Forest game. I think it was Wake Forest and uh, North Carolina. There was like like so much wow. Like I knew because it was being replayed on one of the ESPN channels, 58-55, to 55, UNC beats 13th ranked uh, Wake Forest. That is crazy. I mean, I've seen some high-scoring games for college football, but nothing to this level. Uh, man, that is crazy. And one of the other interesting things that I saw, this was a headline There was a coach for uh, the Washington Huskies. His name is Jimmy Lake. Um, This guy got suspended for hitting and shoving one of his uh, players, linebacker Ruprek Flavai. Hope I got that name right. But redshirt freshman, that is... I mean, it's one thing to get frustrated um, losing a game. Losing a game. Strike a redshirt freshman? That's just... That that doesn't... They put out a statement from the athletic director. And so that... That's that's really, really, really bad. Hmm. But but there's... There's way worse. Not that... I'm trying to, to defend the coach... But that's pretty bad. But there's some other pretty bad stuff, particularly if you are a Las Vegas Raider fan. Where do you begin? You had the John Gruden stuff a few weeks ago. Now you got Henry Ruggs. Henry Ruggs, uh, around 340, according to many stories on webs, many websites, 
driving 150 miles an hour, drunk, I believe his girlfriend was in his car too, crashes into another car, winds up killing a young lady in that other car and her dog. What do you do? Well, Raiders did the right thing and released him. Because there's no doubt in my mind. And I had a glimpse of of an article that I read where uh, in Nevada the, it, it, it's a felony to get a DWI charge. I believe the penalty is a minimum of two years or a maximum of 20 years in prison. I got a feeling anywhere five plus years and up for uh, Ruggs, he's going to find himself in jail. No doubt in my mind, he's going to find himself in jail. And that charge is going to stick to him for the rest of his life. And it's something he'll definitely be, excuse me, regretting for a long, long time. And the Raiders didn't have much uh, to go on for their uh, game against the New York Giants. One of the bigger upsets probably for the year. Uh, Giants able to uh, beat them on a strong run game. Pedestrian passing, but really good defense picking off Derek Carr two times. One of which being a pick six and a strip sack to end the game. Derek Carr didn't look too bad, and the run game was pretty good for the Raiders. Just the defense. Chunk plays from Devontae Booker and Elijah Penny. And just poor offensive line. Really poor offensive line from the look of it um, on Sunday. And they just released uh, Damon Arnett because, because a video that surfaced of him with guns and death threats. These two, Arnett and Ruggs, were part of last year's draft class for the Raiders. So that kind of gives you a glimpse of, okay, they're kind of in trouble. I believe the Raiders just signed Deshaun Jackson, who got cut from... uh, He got released by the uh, Rams... I'd be willing to bet the Rams probably wanted him back because they got their butts kicked by Tennessee. This is without Derrick Henry, by the way. Um, not the best of games for Sunday Night Football, but definitely a uh, definitely a game that favored the Titans a lot more on account of their defense showing up, picking off Matthew Stafford a couple times. They only gave up a garbage touchdown late in the game, but still, they put up a valiant effort against the Rams. Rams didn't really run the ball with uh, Daryl Henderson in the second half. They, they put no effort to run the ball. You got to run the ball. You have to. <clears throat> Even with how bad the Titans' run game was, they still tried with, with their guys. Adrian Peterson found himself in the end zone late in the game. Maybe next week they do a little better. You know, Peterson will learn a lot more. And, yep, he'll he'll keep doing better. 125th touchdown, by the way, for uh, Peterson. His 119th on the ground. 
Titans actually doing really well at seven and two, and Rams are seven and two. Uh, Raiders drop to five and three. Giants pick up a big win for a three and six record. Where do you start? Where else do you start? Well, I guess you got to go go to the West, really, because the Denver Broncos played the upset, beat the Dallas Cowboys. Huge game, 30 nothing in the fourth quarter, a couple of late touchdowns, but that didn't really mean a lot of crap to the Dallas Cowboys. Pretty bad passing out of uh, Dak Prescott, and the running game out of the Bronco offense, unbelievable, running for close to 200 yards out of both Javante Williams and Melvin Gordon. Gordon getting himself a touchdown. So there's definitely a lot of question marks for the 6-2 and two Cowboys now. Can they find ways to win? This offense may not be as invisible, invincible compared to um, what people have been saying. Broncos keep themselves in the playoff hunt a little bit. 5-4 and four record. You hope that... This is a momentum changer, and hopefully things get get a little better. Teddy Bridgewater had a decent game. The, the results, they didn't even try running the ball with for Dallas. 51 yards rushing out of Ezekiel Elliott and only 11 out of Tony Pollard. Probably just because of how much they were getting killed, if I had to assume. So the new NFC, not NFC, AFC West, uh, division winner right now, the leader, sorry, is L.A. Chargers beating a uh, last-second field goal against the Philadelphia Eagles. Really strong game out of Justin Herbert. Not the greatest of run games, but Herbert kept them going. Huge game, 356 yards passing. Philadelphia, well, they did try to run it. Not the greatest of passing out of Jalen Hurts, but to run for over 150 yards altogether, Jordan Howard leading the way. This is the type of stuff they should have been doing when they had Miles Sanders on the field. I don't know why they're not comfortable with 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 Miles Sanders. Is there something that Nick Sirianni doesn't like about him? If they don't like Miles Sanders, just trade him. I mean, if this was your... If you think he was just a bad choice, then why do you still have him? I mean, Boston Scott is getting more carries at a decent level compared to Sanders, despite being on the IR. And Jordan Howard, I mean, he's not a bad running back. He really isn't. Eagles also 3-6 and six for the year. And uh, Washington had the week off, so... They'll be back to play uh, this upcoming week. Kansas City, I mean, a win's a win in their def- in defeating the Green Bay Packers, but you'd think with no Aaron Rodgers, this team probably could have done better. Like, I'm serious. This team probably could have done a lot better because as far as Green Bay goes, uh... 190 out of Jordan Love in his first start. Touchdown and interception. They did run for over 100 yards total. 
53 out of Aaron Jones, 46 out of A.J. Dillon. And Love actually ran for about 20 yards, about 23 to be exact. I don't know if just they're hoping to get Rodgers back in time, which that's a huge headache with the whole COVID thing. I don't want to get into it other than just wanting to see Mike Florio get fired for his uh, idiocy. Uh, They're doing okay running the ball, Kansas City, and just Pat Mahomes isn't to isn't at the level where he was even last year. I don't know if he's just if there's a health issue relating to um, Mahomes. I have no clue, but that they just don't have a good offensive line, and with the weapons they have as far as Tyree Kill, Travis Kelsey, Michael Hardman, this team should be beating up on on Green Bay. I mean, like I said, a win's a win, but yet you wonder if he, if this team is even going to make it to the playoffs. Five and four record right now, but it's a tough hill to climb. Packers dropped to seven and two. I don't believe any of their uh, division rivals did well at any point. Detroit had the week off, which. <laughs> I'm not sure that's a good sign or not. <laughs> 0-17. I, I think there should be a watch to see if they go 0-17. That's how bad they are. Uh, Minnesota. Minnesota was doing pretty good in their game against Baltimore. Ultimately lost to them in overtime. Game-winning field goal by Justin Tucker. Did a lot of things right. Not the greatest performances out of Kirk Cousins, but two touchdowns. Dalvin Cook ran for over 100. Team's doing decent things. Baltimore, I mean, outside of the interceptions, Lamar Jackson threw for three, 260-plus yards. Let's see, 199. Close to 250 yards rushing total for Baltimore. 120 out of Lamar Jackson. Devontae Freeman had a really good game rushing. And Le'Veon Bell ran for 48 and scored. Like, this is... They're, they're, doing, they're doing pretty good, all things considered. That's the that's the type of performance that I think people want to see out of Baltimore. That's all I'm going to have to say on that. Just... Big scoring game. and It's not like it's uh, unusual because there was a game... Back in 2013, uh, Minnesota and Baltimore, within like the last couple minutes, they were just scoring left and right. Crazy that with that game, that was that was the year of uh, the Ravens trying to defend their Super Bowl title and just couldn't. So Ravens are six and two, first place in the uh, AFC North. Uh, Minnesota down to three and five in the NFC North. So the Sunday night game was uh, Chicago and uh, Pittsburgh, and a really really good effort out of Justin Fields late in the game. Two ninety one, one score, one pick. Uh, Darnell Mooney had a rushing touchdown. David Montgomery had an okay game, sixty three yards rushing, and a big receiving touchdown on Mooney as well. They're doing decent. 
And the defense actually at times held their end of the bargain, sacking Ben Roethlisberger see, four times. Huge ones. Just unbelievable. Uh, the tight end for the uh, uh, Steelers, I believe, is Freyermuth. Two scores. I believe that's the only touchdowns Roethlisberger threw in an otherwise okay game offensively. Najee Harris didn't really have a good game, but he did score. None of the, none of the receivers looked looked sharp overall outside of, I'd say, Deontay Johnson and the Friermuth guy. But otherwise, very tight game uh, in the fourth quarter with the big fourth quarter comeback. Uh, big big uh, headline will definitely be the uh, taunting penalty given to one of the Bears players on defense for staring at the Steeler bench. I don't know what Tony Corrente, the ref, was thinking on that. But that's just... Really? If there was like a gesture that the Bears player did... I forget his name. I gotta look for that. Uh, where is his name? The Marsh. I... I I forget his first name, Marsh, stared at him, and that constitutes a taunting penalty? The refs... Refs refs need to be held accountable. They can't just... let things... They, they can't keep dictating things. That's why they're looked at as a joke. That's why they're a big joke to many people. Uh, Pittsburgh wins, though, uh, 29-27, last second... Uh, no, field goal of 30 seconds to go. Bears try to make the comeback, lose. 3-6 and six for the year. 5-3 and three, uh, Steelers. So they keep themselves... I uh, believe they're actually second place in the... Uh, in the uh, north, surprisingly. Cleveland, uh, huge game. Really important game for them. Beating up on the Cincinnati Bengals. Bengals now last place in the... Uh, AFC North. Baker Mayfield didn't need to have a huge game, but he did pretty well. Nick Chubb had a huge game. Defense did its job. I believe they got a pick six out of it. Joe Burrow for Cincinnati. Not good. Uh, Joe Mixon, the only bright spot. Only 64 yards rushing and... 46 yards receiving, but two rushing touchdowns. Definitely an embarrassing effort by by the Bengals. Browns keep themselves in the hunt a little bit. Keep themselves in the hunt. Yeah, and this is with releasing uh, Odell Beckham Jr. That guy is just so dysfunctional. Not a the, the Giants are not going to bring him back. The Lions don't want him. The Saints don't want him. I think he burned his bridges for the most part. Could he help a team like New England, for example? Could Bill Belichick fix him? There's a potential on it, yes, but he could also be a head case, kind of similar with uh, Antonio Brown. That was, what, two years ago? Just overall crazy 
really crazy. Now, if you want crazy, let's go to the AFC East. How do you lose 9-6? to That is the Buffalo Bills losing to the Jacksonville Jaguars. Bills 5-3 and three now for the year. Jacksonville gets their second win of the year. Josh Allen of the Bills, throwing-wise, he did okay, but two interceptions, that's what killed it. And they didn't really run the ball well. Only 72 yards total. Zach Moss with a head injury, so you're not sure if he'll be back in time. They don't really give the ball to Devin Singletary. Their, 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 their running game, let's just be honest right now, it's putrid. You know, what you know, what made the Bills so special from 89 through 96 was having the ability to run the ball down people's throats with Thurman Thomas, Jim Kelly throwing it anywhere he wanted to, throwing it to his receivers, throwing it to his tight ends, the running backs having a, having a good effort in the passing game as well. This ain't it. And not, not the best of games, too, for Jacksonville. Trevor Lawrence didn't look all that good. And the run game, slightly better, but not by much. Barely better. That's what I'm going to say. But Josh Allen, the quarterback, losing to Josh Allen, the linebacker. And this was funny because they had this on... I think it was like Good Morning Football on NFL Network. They had uh, a funny stat line. Josh Allen, the Buffalo Bill guy, 7th overall 2018. Jacksonville Josh Allen, 7th overall 2019. And Josh Allen, the defensive guy, sacked Josh Allen, picked off Josh Allen, and recovered a fumble of Josh Allen. <laughs> But yeah, it definitely brings into question whether Buffalo is good enough to even win. And keep your eyes on the New England Patriots because they are playing okay. They're 5-4 and four now with their win against the uh, Carolina Panthers. Not the best of performances altogether, but the run game is holding its own to some capacity. Not as strong compared to other weeks, but they're still fighting for wins. Uh, total of well over well over 140 yards. Damian Harris with a rushing touchdown. Not the greatest of passing performances out of uh, Mac Jones, but it's better than nothing. Sam Darnold. Patriots have, the, have his number. Three interceptions and Christian McCaffrey back. Not a great game altogether. Run game didn't look all that good. Overall, it's just the decline of the Panthers. That's what it ultimately comes down to. Four and five now for the year. Four and five. Just and the Jets. Well, they put up a valiant effort in the fourth quarter of an otherwise garbage game. Forty-five thirty. Colts beat them. Colts four and five now. They could definitely find themselves on a big winning streak down the road and ultimately find a spot in the playoffs. They did a lot of things to go in their favor, though, because Carson Wentz, really good game, three touchdowns. The Taylor running back, 172 and two scores. The Hines guy got a rushing touchdown. 
it, they're starting to gel. They're starting to gel as a team, and Frank Reich knows it. And defense, outside of the fourth quarter, did pretty well. Uh, Mike White got hurt, uh, the hero of last week against Cincinnati. Josh Johnson took over. This guy's been in the league for such a long time. But outside of the interception, really good game. 317, three scores, one pick. That pick coming very, very late within like the last minute of the game. They just need to get that run game going, and the defense can't give up points so quickly in the first half. 2-6 and six Jet team, they're not going to go anywhere. Uh, and the Dolphins actually won a game. They snapped their seven-game losing streak by beating the Houston Texans. Tyrod Taylor came back. I bet they wish they the Texans had uh, Davis Mills playing because Taylor... Three interceptions, 240, and the run game was still terrible. I mean, they. I mean, the defense did their job. They did a decent job against Jacoby Brissett, picking him off a couple of times. Wouldn't be surprised if they sacked him a handful of times. Miles Gaskin, the, the run game was just bad for Miami, but Gaskin got himself a touchdown. Something, something's up in in Florida. Maybe they need to kidnap a dolphin or something to uh, to boost the morale or something. <laughs> uh, Ace Ventura, such a, such a funny movie. <laughs> but yeah, that's just how bad the uh, Texans last place actually. So Texans last place in the South, third place the two and six Jaguars, Colts four and five, Titans seven and two. So, Dolphins, I don't know who would have last place exactly in the East, but New England in second place, that's a scary, scary thought. Really scary. Um, Just finish up with the South of the NFC. Falcons, 18-point lead in the uh, fourth quarter. Big comeback out of uh, Trevor Simeon. Who actually had a decent game, all things considered. 249 and two scores. Alvin Kamara found himself in the end zone. The running game is okay, but still not anywhere strong. They do need to uh, keep gelling together until they get, I don't know, healthier, I guess. But it's going to be a, a huge uphill battle. But Falcons, big plays out of uh, Matt Ryan. Especially with his pass to uh, Cordero Patterson to set up the game-winning field goal, twenty-seven twenty-five, the final. Four and four Falcons. Keep an eye on them; they could surprise people late in the season. Five and three Saints. So Tampa, Tampa didn't need to do anything; they were on a bye week. <laughs> They're pretty happy to see uh, division rivals. Uh, win and lose against each other. <laughs> Dang, a little over 25 minutes of football. It's just It's a sport I follow quite a bit. So, yeah. Uh, congratulations to the Atlanta Braves for winning the World Series. Big one. Big one. And that's a huge, huge boost for the city. Just overall, just some of their players, just unbelievable. Where you think of Eddie Rosario, longtime 
veteran Freddie Freeman. This was, I think, this was far more deserving. You know, seeing seeing a guy like Freeman who does a lot of the right things, a guy that could have wound up dying from COVID last year, like a big fever and all that. I mean, young family as well with with his wife and three kids. Just you got to think of where he was last year compared to where he is now, and for the city of Atlanta, they don't have a lot of championships under their uh, belt for the most part. And their first championship since the '95 season, and they did it all with through their bats. The pitching was doing itself a respectable job here and there. The fact that they were able to shut them out. Which there was a funny thing when watching the last part of that, of that game six was, they had a stat line the last time a game clinching uh, shutout occurred, Houston lost in the 05 World Series one nothing to the Chicago White Sox. So not only did they get shut out in a game clincher in the, in the National League, they got shut out in a game clincher in the American League for the World Series. Although this one was a little more contested because the White Sox shut out the Houston uh, Astros. But yeah, big, big stuff. I mean, some of these guys are going to find themselves immortalized forever. And I think a lot of people would have wanted to see an Atlanta win just because of the scandals of the Astros. And... Another year, another unfortunate World Series loss to uh, for for actually uh, Dusty Baker. Man, he's been around for such a long time. I mean, he did win a World Series as a player with the '81 Dodgers, but I think people do want to see him get a World Series ring as a manager because he's done a lot of good things in his tenure and just just comes up short a lot comes up really short speaking of short this is one of the more interesting things to talk about uh the retirement of buster posey not seeing that he was going to retire 12 seasons with the san francisco giants actually 13 seasons total uh 12 as a player i think took he took last year off because of covid he was one of the big bright spots for uh, for San Francisco and a huge factor into why they won three World Series. I believe he was an MVP guy, number of gold gloves, all-stars, MVP. I mean, it, there's a lot of questions to whether or not he's a Hall of Famer or not. I had a look at his stat line and outside of the accolades, I'm not sure. Like I, I, I'm, I'm being dead honest on all this because I think, I think Joe Mauer, and I'm not the hugest fan of Joe Mauer, but Mauer, I think, is more deserving of the Hall of Fame compared to, um, compared to Posey. I think. Uh, I think uh, Yadier Molina, who's still catching for the Cardinals, 
is more deserving of the Hall of Fame. But that's that's just my thoughts on it. Uh, I don't know. It's just it, it's weird to talk about it because it, it, just something about catchers and the standards that the writers have for wanting into the Hall of Fame. I'm not sure he'll be outed as a to be in the Hall of Fame, but it's just a uh, just it's strange. You know, you think about some of the stuff. Like I was just thinking. Uh, actually, there's an article I just saw that about. Actually, I want to look at Thurman Munson. Let me tell you something. Thurman Munson was one of the great players for the New York Yankees. Now, I want to look at his stats because his stat lines are pretty similar to. To Posey. Yeah, seven-time All-Star, MVP. I believe that was in 76 he was the MVP. Rookie of the Year. This guy did a lot of things right. His stat lines are pretty similar. Uh, more hits, not as many home runs as Posey, but still decent enough. Not as many RBIs. 292 career average for, um, for uh, Munson, but... I mean, for what he was able to do prior to his unfortunate passing, I mean, I mean, that was a different era, by the way, where your catchers weren't exactly, I think, the most nuanced in, in batting. I mean, some players were, some players weren't. It definitely is a bit unfair to see a guy like... Uh, I don't know why they don't put him in, like, do something for his wife and kids. Seriously. Actually, I'm going to look at Posada because the big thing with him was he was more of a home run guy. And, yeah, he has the World Series. Same thing with Munson as well. But I want to look into that a little bit because 1,600 yards, uh, hits, I'm sorry, football. A lot more home runs, but the average definitely... I don't really remember Posada being that great of a of an average. That was always, I think, one of the downsides. And I don't remember Posada. I don't know. I, I'm not sure Posada is deserving of the Hall of Fame. He didn't even reach five percent his first year. I don't really remember him having that great of an arm. I mean, compared to something like a Munson or a Posey. That's just weird because. Munson had similar stats to uh, Posey, and yet he's not in the Hall of Fame. That's a shame. I mean, if Posey winds up getting in, there definitely needs to be uproar on whether or not Thurman Munson gets in. Way before my time, just as a heads up, but you know, for guys like my father, who grew up watching, watching this guy in the 70s, Honor the family for once. I mean, there's not just months, but there's got to be other catchers that with similar stat lines, or if not better stat lines than Posey. I'm not trying to downplay Posey as a whole, but some of his stat lines, I'm not sure it's enough to get into the Hall of Fame. I'm not sure. 
weird things do happen with baseball, so I don't know. And a congratulations to uh, Kyle Larson for winning the NASCAR championship on Sunday. A 10-win season in his first year of Hendrick Motorsports. Another year of falling short, Martin Truex Jr., who did win it back in 2017. Another falling short again, Denny Hamlin. Of course, Chase Elliott, last year's champion, finishing uh, fifth. Uh, Truex was second. Hamlin was third. Definitely one of the crazier finishes for uh, as far as drama goes. Just lead changes and all that. Unbelievable finish for the year. This is the type of stuff that NASCAR really needs. And to cap off a, a driver that had a lot of controversy on him from from last year with the uh, with the racial slur and Hendrick Motorsports giving him a huge chance. I think a lot of it does have to do with where Hendrick Motorsports is compared to even Chip Ganassi Racing. And that's not to say Larson was a terrible driver at Chip Ganassi, but with what he was able to do and utilize his talent and use the equipment at Hendrick correctly to have one of the more dominant seasons as a driver. It'll definitely feel special for Larson for a very, very long time. And hopefully he learned his lessons from last year. I'm not sure if there's any other things he can do to redeem himself or anything, but it definitely feels like a comeback story in a way and I'm trying to think of drivers that had 10 win seasons and uh, won the championship I think the last guy to really do that was Jimmy Johnson and that was during his 5 cup winning streak because Elliott didn't reach 10 last year Kyle Busch and his 2 championships didn't I don't believe Martin Truex did. Joey Logano certainly didn't. Brad Keselowski certainly didn't. I don't think Jimmy Johnson did in his two uh, cup championships um, in the 2010s. Uh, I don't think really. I, I think Jimmy Johnson was the last driver to do so. Actually, I want to look at that. Jimmy. Jimmy Johnson... Uh, NASCAR because he he had a huge he had had one year where he had like 10 wins as a where is stats I'm trying to look for it alright where is he where is he where uh, Jimmy Johnson okay here we are. I mean, very storied career, but... Alright, let's see. I, I swear he had 10, 10 win season. He only had one 10 win season. And that was in 2007. 
the closest he had after that were 7 in 08 and 09. Eight wins in 04 for uh, second place. So he he was definitely making names during that time. I mean, definitely a bright future for Hendrick Motorsports with their young. Because of William Byron winning a couple, Bowman had four wins. Elliott obviously had a good year. I think it won like more than half the races this year. That's just a that's just a telling of just the the guys that they have and this young generation of drivers. You know, similar in a way to when you know Jeff Gordon was there, and having some of these young guys such as Jimmy Johnson, a very early Kyle Busch, a little bit, and having some veterans later on. Think about the veteran stuff of Casey Kane, Dale Earnhardt Jr., Jimmy Johnson, Jeff Gordon, or even just when Gordon was young, having having some veterans by him, such as Ken Schrader and uh, Terry Labonte, which, by the way, that's the last time the five cars been a championship car, when uh, Terry Labonte won the uh, championship back in 96. Good old Cornflakes car. <laughs> Hugely crazy how long that... 25 years, actually, now that I think about it. That's just nuts. That's really nuts. But definitely, uh, a lot of teams will be prepping for for Daytona in February. See what happens with some of the drivers that are thinking about retirement or maybe temporary returns to NASCAR. You never know who's going to return. You never know who's going to wind up in a broadcast booth. And that was actually the, uh, I believe, the last time this year that NBC Sports Network uh, had NASCAR. And a number of their races are certainly going to go to USA, which, you know, you think about with television. That's one of the things I'm looking at for this upcoming uh, season as far as the USA Network goes because they've definitely been trying to open up a bit more on being more than just Dick Wolf Network. You know, with all that Chicago PD crap and Law and Order, Special Victims. The fact they're trying to get hockey into it a little bit, uh, although I think they lost that for the most part. To have NASCAR throughout the summer... I think that will be a good boost to what they have overall, especially with, I mean, their only sports stuff is, I'm not sure if you can call it sports, is WWE. I mean, WWE has been around the USA going back to, I'm going to say the 80s, which is hard to believe. I mean, USA has always had its share of wrestling over the years. But I think this will be cool to have on Sundays, you know, having having races on there. They can't afford to lose anything major. I think it would be a decent boost, all things considered. And, you know, the people that were on NBC Sports Network, maybe they migrate over to uh, USA and who knows what happens. I, I would think I would think it would be 
like I said, a decent boost. I mean, give people something to watch that isn't Law and & Order. And actually, USA airing a decent amount of movies. They're doing, I think, a better job with having movies on their channel compared to where they were even 10 years ago. Because I'm thinking, like, early 2000s. They, they loved airing movies. Granted, you know, they weren't always the greatest movies on the planet, but they aired quite a bit of stuff. You know, like like actual like actual movies that caught people's interest. You know, the big hits, the moderate ones. You know, the cult followings. They they did an amazing job with that. It just makes me wish that uh, other networks would follow suit and actually try to differentiate. Because you know, you you look at TNT, all they're airing is just comic book crap, Star Wars crap. TBS doesn't have an identity anymore. It's kind of the same situation. I think Turner's just trying to expand onto True TV and some of these other networks with uh, trying to air more comedy stuff. And I'll be honest, like, do people really want to watch We're the Millers on True TV? Or horrible bosses, for that matter. Like, not saying don't watch them, but they're stretching thin on what they air on those networks on TBS, on TNT. You know. And actually, speaking of comic book stuff, uh, that was number one film, Eternals, uh, the latest uh, Marvel film. 70 plus million. No other film was even close. I think Dune was second. Numbers according to boxofficemojo.com. Just as a heads up, I'm not affiliated with Box Office Mojo. 71 million over the weekend. 7.8 million was Dune. No Time to Die, actually, it's 6 million. Venom, 2, uh, 4.5 mil. And leading the top. Ending the top five, Ron's Gone Wrong at $3.6 million. Definitely a lot of questions into whether or not uh, Eternals was going to do well or not. Uh, So far, it's done okay. But the reception, not, not as grand. Not as grand. Um... Especially with, I don't know if just people just not pleased with the direction that it's going, or that it tried to be so different compared to uh, compared to the other Marvel films. I don't know. Let's see. I mean, it, it's got an interesting cast. I mean, led by you know Angelina Jolie and uh, let's see Richard Madden, Salma Hayek. Gemma Chan. Um, not the greatest receptions. I mean, a B cinema score grade and Rotten Tomatoes, um, 48%. So, first rotten film for, for this stupid cinematic universe crap. So... 
and the direction from Chloe Zhao, that might be one thing that will hurt, I think, some markets, is is Chloe Zhao, um, especially with China, with her views on that country as a whole. There's no doubt that movie's not going to see a release there. And actually, this is something that's interesting here. This is according to the article on Box Office Mojo. Quote, However, it's worth note, noting that several Arab countries, including Saudi Arabia, Kuwait, and Qatar, halted the film's release on religious grounds since it features the MCU's first gay superhero. Now, I don't know if this was like this in the comics. I really doubt it. But it sounds like it's trying to hit extra points for trying to be diverse for the sake of diversity. That's what it sounds like. And I don't know. It's just it. I mean, you, you, it, I don't know if it feels forced or not. If they try to force in the story, because that's the one thing I think with some of these films, like, like you can try to make it feel natural without feeling like you have to force this on everybody. That's at least how I view it. I mean, I don't know. I mean, I I think you have to watch this stuff to get an idea. But if it's a huge part of your marketing and advertising, depending on the film, sure, it'll drive people to the theater, and it may not. But I think the second weekend will be interesting to see if if it even fares well, given its reception. And if it opens in any other markets, I can't imagine this doing that much better compared to uh, Shang-Chi. And Shang-Chi, very well received and exceeded expectations. It was going to do decent, but that movie, because of it being exclusively in theaters, and some of the, I think it was like Bob Eager or whatever his name is, calling an experiment trying to people trying to shove it in his face that uh, thinking it's an it's an experiment so yeah oh well yeah a lot of just basically a bunch of older uh, older films you know from within the last uh, month or so Especially with Bond and Ron's Gone Wrong. Dune, the last few weeks, has done pretty pretty well, all things considered. Trying to see. Hmm. Trying to just look at other stuff. They Not really, I think just a bunch of smaller films that have come out. See what's coming up on the... Cause Ooh, tomorrow, Clifford the Big Red Dog. That'll be interesting. I I can't imagine it doing that well. Followed by Belfast, as far as wide releases goes. A handful of uh, smaller releases coming out um, over the next few days. In all seriousness, I am very curious to see where... Uh, 
Ghostbusters lands uh, next week with uh, Afterlife and the King Richard movie of the Williams sisters of tennis. Will Smith being the uh, playing the father of of those two, and a lot more uh, limited releases. More so probably just because it's the weekend before Thanksgiving. Ooh, Thanksgiving weekend. Resident Evil, Welcome to Raccoon City. Box office for uh, video game movies have done a bit better recently, and the receptions have been a tad better. Not critical acclaim numbers, but still better than nothing. I am I'm glad that the movies are starting to show up in theaters again because it gives me a bit more to talk about on podcasts like these. It really does. Man, you know the shame being that first of the year for 2022, first podcast for 2022, I might have to do an episode where I have to talk something other than movies I saw in the theater because this year I have not seen any in the theater. Been well over a year and a half since I've seen any in theaters. <laughs> Although I'm not sure I want to spend all my money now on overpriced drinks and popcorn. That to me is part of the theater experience, but eleven fifty for I think like a large popcorn and large drink. Yeah, maybe on special occasions, but all the time? Heck no. Oh, hell no. <laughs> oh, man. So, this is something uh, going to video games. There are a number of consoles that are turning uh, 20, 15 years old this upcoming uh, couple weeks. And I'm going to do these a couple these two a, a little early because one I wanted to uh, a console buying guide episode uh, the Tuesday before Thanksgiving and two because it's I don't want it to overlap other parts of the podcast all things considered so I'm going to begin with the two systems that came out in uh, 2001 and their impact somewhat for the uh, industry. So I'll begin with a debut console that definitely had its place for a number of people, but it wasn't until 05 that they started to pick up as a whole. And that is the original Xbox by Microsoft. So it first debuted November 15th, 2001. And it was Microsoft's way of trying to get back at at Sony with the PlayStation brand out of fear at some point where they think that they thought that PlayStation was going to dominate more than just consoles, but dominate PCs, which I think is a little outrageous because when you look at markets for the uh, for the time, 
there was reasons to go to consoles and there was reasons to go to PCs. With PCs, you were getting stuff that 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 you couldn't get anywhere else. Look at something like Wolfenstein 3D or Doom back in the 90s. Look at some of the other... Look at Half-Life. The expansions at that time. You couldn't get anything to the level of an opposing force during that time period as far as single-player games go. Now, granted, you have some single-player experiences during that time with stuff such as GoldenEye, Alien Trilogy, Medal of Honor, but I think the markets were just a bit different compared to where it is kind of today. More people were more focused on specific uh, things. But still, the fear was there for uh, Microsoft. That was that was the story I remember reading a long time ago. By the way, that just crazy to think that the the fear of Sony overtaking gaming in general, which I mean, to be fair, PS2 actually dominated throughout the first half of the 2000s, and the fact that it was still able to be on the market until 2011, 2012 with their last games in 2013, that that says a lot. That says a huge lot. But Microsoft, I believe the system was the $300 system, four controller ports. The controllers, you got to understand that where they, they had a really, really big controller that I'm not sure if anyone could really hold on to it and do some of the button presses on some of it, but they did lower the size down a little bit to a style that would be pretty similar to uh, what they would have when the Xbox 360 came out and, of course, future systems after that. Microsoft, I mean, was having experience in the console industry helping Sega out. And it definitely, when you think about it, when you look at what they had, it's pretty similar to the Sega Dreamcast. Just going by the controller and doing a few small things, such as having a second analog stick, which I think is a crippling flaw to the Dreamcast. If the Dreamcast survived into the mid-2000s, there would have been a number of games that would have struggled to have been played, or Sega would have had to do a second analog stick, because the second analog stick, to me, is a huge factor when playing games on the original PlayStation and PlayStation 2. But Sega definitely put some big support into the uh, excuse me uh, Xbox. I mean, Shenmue Two made it on there, a Panzer Dragoon game on there, uh, Jet Set Radio, I think, or Jet Grind Radio, I forget which one. I mean, putting up some other stuff, you know, some Sonic games here and there, uh, some of the sports lineup they had. I mean, so it felt like at times a true successor to the uh, 
to the Dreamcast. It felt like a, a continuation of it. And it boasted a hard drive of 10 gigabytes, I believe it was. 8 gigabytes. Which, when you think about it, most computers didn't have that type of storage size. Like, I'm, I, I'm just thinking... I'm just thinking because when I grew up on computers back then, didn't really have that much storage space until probably the XP era. Yeah, storage, uh, 8 or 10 gigabyte eternal hard drive, and an 8, or you could use an 8 megabyte memory card. So they they weren't sure if people would have stuck to the, uh, to, to the hard drive or not, but... Yeah. Hmm. There's an article. Let's see. There was a thread somewhere. Hmm. It's like it's hard to imagine. Just I'm just thinking the lengths we've gone to. The Xbox One has there's a there's a external hard drive that allows up to eight terabytes. Eight terabytes, ain't that hard to believe? But with games getting so much bigger and bigger, I uh, maybe maybe Microsoft anticipated people buying many many games for the original Xbox. I believe some of the games did have updates here and there. Uh, as far as their game lineup goes, a lot of their titles are games that were on the PlayStation Two or and or GameCube. But they definitely had their share of exclusive stuff. I mean, Halo was the big reason to get into it. Some games were able to handle loading a little better. Some, The big thing was definitely its graphic capability, which was pretty amazing for, for that generation of gaming. And I think that's the one thing most people bring up mostly with the Xbox is the graphics. But I feel like, but I feel like that's... That's like one piece of the puzzle, though. To get an Elder Scrolls game, to have some of the stuff that not even the GameCube had, which I'll talk about with the GameCube in a little bit. I mean, it says a lot. Um, just many, many other things. But I think the big thing that it didn't make the huge impact because not many people were using it. The introduction of Xbox Live in 2002 and the, the ability to do online, it's weird to think about that, but it it paved the way for online to some capacity. But it was a small step into what the Xbox 360 would do uh, in 05. It was... It was using stuff like the headsets and the connections and and just games that fully utilized it. There were also times where you could use uh, system links, which I think is one of the cooler things to do, actually. Uh, as far as experience goes with the Xbox, never really had any true experience other than playing a couple titles on Xbox 360 via backwards compatibility, which was hugely atrocious. Hugely atrocious backwards compatibility. Um, there's stuff I've heard in the past of uh, 
clock capacitors. I'm going to look that up because this is something that impacts a number of a number of of original Xboxes because of a capacitor that they used that was rather cheap all things considered. Yeah, let's go to yeah. Let's see. From the eight we'll be aware of the green death. The original Xbox does include a real-time clock, however, it doesn't rely on a battery. Due to the RTC hardware being included in the bigger NVIDIA MCPXX3 sound chip, the current draw on standby was too high to use a standard coin cell. Fancy high-value capacitor was used. The problem is these capacitors were made... Wow. Capacitor plague and many leakings. Hmm. Reset the clock every time you unplug the console. Hmm. Yeah, there's like a head, like a video, a video uh, image, a capacitor that looks really, really bad. Wow. Now I th- think it was for the 1.0 through 1.5, and I believe after that they went with something else. Xbox 1.6 motherboard. So this was right around 0405. So this was this would have been right around hmm. It's the only way the the clock may not leak is through the um, that particular model so uh, definitely a couple things here and there that uh, definitely have to be addressed but otherwise I mean I'm, I mean it's a system I wouldn't mind getting into a little bit and it has a decent library has stuff on the PS2 that I probably would like and probably some of the exclusive stuff as well and the other system that came out not too long after uh, in America, been out in September of that year, uh, the Nintendo GameCube. So this was kind of an anticipated system out of uh, Nintendo. The Nintendo 64 did well enough, but it continued a downward trend of NES having the most sales for their home consoles, Super NES, slight decline, and a little steeper decline with the 64. So they ditched the cartridge format and went with CDs. But Nintendo being Nintendo, they went with like a smaller mini-disc format, which I think it was their way of trying to keep piracy out of control from coming onto their system, but I think even by then, the system did get pirated. So, it's similar to, I think, with Sega, with the GD ROMs for their uh, Dreamcast. Eventually, that got pirated quite a bit. 
Nintendo has always been one of the more stricter companies when it comes to region coding and many other things. So altogether, I think that they're doing what they could to protect their consoles from getting modded, I guess. But this stuff's going to happen eventually. But still, it came about and never really gained a foothold for for that generation. The fact that Xbox, I believe the final Xbox sales were around 24 million, and GameCube was around anywhere from 21 to 22 million, which that was a huge low for Nintendo. Huge, huge low. And it it was bogged down. I mean, I mean, sure. Early on, uh, CDs, the, the storage capacity, and the games uh, that utilized decent amount of uh, storage, they did okay. But as time went on, games started to get bigger and bigger, and it got to the point where some of the games needed two discs. I'm sure that had to be hugely frustrating for some of the companies that were making these games. But it did boast a little better graphical power compared to the PlayStation 2. It had four controller ports, which was still pretty good, continuing what they did with the 64. Uh, No online, which... That's a huge, huge asterisk. Because there... These were stories that I heard long ago and read about that they weren't that concerned about online and thinking that it would be just a fad. I believe it was like Shigeru Miyamoto downplaying it down a whole lot, which, bad move from him because online was getting better and better on computers to the point where people were having stuff like the Unreal Tournaments. And even with uh, online in the two, early 2000s, think about it. Medal of Honor, Allied Assault, uh, Battlefield 1942, inevitably Call of Duty. People people want to play online. People like some of these deathmatch stuff. And there's some other games, hey, maybe we can team up together and play team up together and beat this game together. Simple as that. And I believe you can only do LAN with GameCube. I believe you can only do LAN. And barely any games utilize the online for uh, utilized online for the GameCube compared to what was seen on the PS2 and the uh, original Xbox. Uh cheap price for the time at $200 but no one was buying it and within less than two years it was down to 100 and people still weren't buying into it I don't think the system was advertised that heavily compared to the Game Boy Advance I don't remember really seeing that many commercials for the GameCube I mean some some big stuff I mean obviously the Mario Sunshine the Mario Kart uh, Star Fox, Zelda a little bit, and not really much else. Maybe some Metroid, but that's about it. I don't really remember much out of uh, 
what they were doing. And just seemed like they lost focus on what made them so good in the first place. And even then, the receptions weren't always the greatest for their games. I mean, they got more titles than the Nintendo 64, but just people weren't... I mean, some of the games were selling decently. It's just numbers were better on the Xbox and PS2. That's what it ultimately came down to. Which is weird, considering people did want to buy the games. There were many players' choice titles for for that console. Just just bad decisions on Nintendo's part. Similar way to the uh, 64. Only except it got much worse. And ultimately, I mean, it made Nintendo rethink their strategies and when we talk about next week, then their next home console, you can understand why they went a different direction. My experience with GameCube, not a whole lot. Uh, but definitely played GameCube via the Wii at times. You gotta understand, um, being in college and being part of a game club for two years played a lot. And I mean a lot of uh, Mario Kart Double Dash. Like it was like you, you you put multiplayer in it together. That is one of the fun experiences you'll have, and that's one of the great things about those early Mario Karts, especially sixty four and Double Dash. The ability to to have four players together and have some of the crazier balloon battles, like just that to me is some of the best fun you can have with a game with a GameCube game. And other than that, not really a whole lot of other stuff. Um, tried some Sonic Adventure 2. It was okay. Just, I mean, I never owned one, by the way, but via the backwards compatibility for the Wii. So, yeah. Um, it's a system I definitely do need to get into a little bit. I like, I like, I love the NES. I like the Super NES, although I think it's very overrated. I like the Game Boy, and just the 64, I, I just, I, I mean, I have a soft spot for the 64 at times, but some of the stuff for the uh, GameCube, I definitely need to get into, it, it just feels weird not having to play, not having played much of it, and there's some good stuff there, I think it's just a matter of just playing with the controller, which is a little weird, but for some games, you'll feel very, very comfortable. Oh yeah, one of the very early examples of wireless uh, controller, the Wavebird. Pretty good controller, actually, all things considered. Not a horrible system, but I think people now these days are trying to inflate it to such a... like, it was that good of a system. I would say it's good, but I don't think it reaches anywhere close to my pick for greatest systems of all time. In fact, if I were to put any Nintendo system into like a top five, NES might sneak into the top five. Other than that, it'd be Sega Genesis number one, PlayStation number two, PS2 number three, 360 number four, 
NES might make it to number five. If not, it 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 would just miss it. It would barely miss it if I didn't include it in the top five. But yeah, that's um, that's all for this episode of Geeks and Jacks. As before, this podcast is on Anchor.fm. You can also find us on Spotify, Radio Public, Google Podcasts, and Breaker. Head on down to those sites. Search for Geeks and Jacks. Plenty of content awaits you. So with that, episode 89 in the books. This is Ryan Sullivan. Hope to hear you listeners on the next podcast. Stay safe. Stay protected. Take care of yourself. Take care, everyone.